And now, from Star Worldwide Networks, it's time for Don Cromwell Live, an insightful, entertaining look into all aspects of the music industry. You'll never hear music the same way again. Now, here's your host, producer, songwriter, musician, and former Air Supply and Eddie Money bassist, Don Cromwell. Welcome, everybody, to Don Cromwell Live. Better late than never. A little snafu at the studio. Hey, that's why we're live. Things are going to happen, but really appreciate you tuning in tonight, whether it's live or on the podcast at some future date. Beautiful day here in Los Angeles. Thank you so much to my producer, Robin, for jumping on it. And thanks so much to my guest for working with me, switching numbers at the very last minute. I can't even tell you. Already people are texting me, can't hear the show. Can't hear the show. Well, hopefully you can now. And I'm so excited. This gentleman, uh, I can't tell you, I'm a fan. It'll be a love fest for me. I've been a fan for a long time, and I'm very, very honored to have him. Uh, let's just bring him on, because he's been waiting, Mr. Alan Parsons. Welcome, Alan. Hey, how are you, Dom? Fantastic. Are you see- me? <laughs> yeah. Can you hear me? I hear you fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you sound great. Thank you so much. And thank you right at the end. I come out here, you know, about 10 minutes to 6, and Robin and I usually chit-chat, and she says, the other phone just went down, and thanks to Lori Reamer, not only for hooking you and I up for tonight, and your wife, Lisa, for the last-minute phone numbers, just getting you on, man. It, it, it's such an honor to have you, Alan. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I, yeah, I, I was getting a bit worried myself because the number that I, you told me to call just did not answer, so I went, what's going on? Uh, that's, that's what I said. I said, I, I said, what's happening with Alan calling in right now? She said, oh, it's probably just going to keep ringing. But they have an internet phone, and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, that's the first time for that, and I'm here just sitting ready to go. But, hey, things happen, and I appreciate, the, again, the fact that you're just here. This hour is going to go by fast because we're going to play some music, talk about your illustrious career. It's phenomenal. I learned a lot just reading the bio and going back and doing some research on you. But Alan, first of all, how are you and your family doing through all the COVID nineteen? You guys surviving? We're surviving. We've we've been locked down since since March. I mean, we really just have uh, heeded all the warnings. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm I'm at high risk. You know, I'm I'm an old geezer. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's se- <laughs> senior. I don't, I don't want to take any risks. You know. Uh, so my wife and I have just really been enjoying spending time at home. I mean, and it's not as if the world stops just because we're at home and we've been doing lots of email, uh, working in the studio a lot and yep. um, having, having a really good time. Yeah. And I saw something on the internet about your studio, a little tour of your studio. You live up in the Santa Barbara area. I know that. And the studio looks fantastic. And, uh, you know, what I love about you amongst a lot of things, your music is that you still seem as creative and motivated to make music and, and record music as ever, huh? I am. I mean, uh, I'm not, not quite ready to hang up my hat just yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, Still, in, still enjoying what I do very much. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't blame you. So uh, you come from a family with the long, impressive history in the entertainment business, so you obviously grew up around that vibe around you. Um, my, my parents were both uh, keen musicians, so my, my mother had uh, been a professional musician as well as a professional actress. 
Uh, my dad was more of a, you know, just a, a playful musician in, in his spare time. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, my my family overall are uh, very, very much linked to uh, entertainment. Yeah, and, and, and that was awesome. And then at age 19, and 19 is a young age, you landed a job at Abbey Road as an assistant engineer. How did that come about? Were you looking to get into that, that side of the business, or did you stumble on it? How did you become an assistant engineer at Abbey Road Studios? I, I had been working for EMI, which is the, you know, the parent company that owned uh, Abbey Road Studios at the time. Yeah. Um, it was just called EMI Studios back then, of course, until the, until the Beatles immortalized the name. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I had been working in, a, in an associated department in West London where um, we were making reel-to-reel tapes on plastic spools uh, to release to the public of, of EMI's catalog. Oh, my and gosh. Remember, this is – I mean, I'm really sh- showing my age now. This is <laughs> had even been thought of. So the, these were quarter-inch tapes on, on little plastic spools that uh, that were in mono, and uh, you played one side, and then you turned them over, and you played the other side. The quality was actually great. Yeah. Actually way better, way better than cassettes. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, a, it's a little sad that format went away. Yeah, interesting. And, and when you speak of cassettes, and, and we'll talk about it later, you know that I've said, and I've said it many times to other people, I'm sure I romanced my wife back in the day to your cassette of iRobot. Um, I, I probably still have it somewhere, but, you know, the cassette format, and, and I'm looking at cassettes around me, I still have so many bits and bobs and ideas on cassettes. It's my biggest regret is none of the cars have cassette players anymore, so you can't. I used to love to tool around drive in and listen to my ideas but um so it's, you, it's hard to, it's hard to find a car with a cd player in it a, a cd player too i mean and i i still love the cd format and i've been listening to some dats lately the, of some older recordings that i'm considering redoing and those dats they sound really fat and you know really got a lot of energy to them um but anyway so you worked on let it be and abbey road the two last albums from the beatles and I kind of found out something I didn't know. There's really a kind of a controversy, which is the last album, Let It Be or Abbey Road. What can you share about those two albums and, 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 and your experience working with the Beatles? Well, I didn't really finish the story about um, how I got to Abbey Road in the first place. Hmm. Um, it it was really just being in the right, right place at the right time while I was working in that Cape uh, Records department, as it was called. I, I applied to the management at Abbey Road having recently heard the, the Sgt. Pepper album by the Beatles and mm-hmm. uh, just appealed to the manager to uh, let me take a tour of the studios and please, if you have any jobs going, I'd be love, uh, happy to take one. Nice. And both those things happened. I got a, I got a tour and uh, the manager interviewed me and uh, two weeks later I, I I was walking up the steps of those studios and uh, oh my gosh. working in the tape library, a bit like working in the mail room. When yeah, sure, sure, it's like at a publishing um, company. You start at the bottom. And uh, it was literally only the following January, after I'd started in October, uh, that I was asked to go down to Apple uh, to uh, help out in the Beatles' uh, own studio in the basement of their Apple building um, in uh, Savile Row in, in central London. And um, I w- w- walked in to, to this, uh, this control room in the studio, and there were uh, George Martin, Glyn Johns, all four Beatles, um, Linda Eastman, uh, Yoko Ono, uh, 
I mean, I must have been so red-faced. It must have been, uh, mm. must have been unbelievably obvious. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I, I uh, wandered in and said, here, I, I've come to uh, operate tape for you. So that's how I did. I was a, I was a tape up. And of course, there was there was a film crew there. The the, uh, the uh, every every moment of uh, the, the Let It Be sessions were were being right. filmed as well as recorded. Mm-hmm. So uh, there I was. And then a, a few days later, after I'd uh, been working in that basement studio, the idea came up to instead of uh, recording. Uh, Without overdubs, you know, just essentially recording live in the studio. That's that's what they wanted to do. Mm. They decided that uh, we want to actually perform in front of an audience. So they said, "How about the roof of our building?" And that's exactly what they did. They uh, they said, "Go and build a stage on the uh, on the roof of the Apple Building." And uh, mm. overnight, we ran cables up the uh, up the stairway up to the roof. So the microphones on the roof could be fed back down into the stu- into the studio control room in the basement, and that was the famous rooftop session. Oh my gosh! Now I mentioned to somebody that you were going to be on tonight, and they said they heard a story that because of all the we all know about the windy conditions up, that somebody might have even been you had to send out to the local uh, drugstore for pantyhose for uh, popper stoppers. Is that part true? <laughs> That's that's absolutely. True. Oh my like gosh! Look from the from the salesperson. You know. Yeah, I can um, imagine you. I'd like in. a pair. I'd like a pair of pantyhooks. <laughs> yeah, so what size? Uh, uh, doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> and, uh, I think I think they thought I was um, either a cross dresser or uh, yeah. Um, I was going to go and rob a bank. Right. <laughs> yeah, but did you get the sheer or the flesh color? You know, that's <laughs> that. Oh my gosh! What I don't even rem- I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah. So when they did the rooftop session, which anybody and everybody's going to know about that, it's infamous. Uh, what you were doing? What were you engineering that session, or just kind of running around? Oh, I was. I was. I was. I was. Green as could be. I mean, I I I'd only been in training for three months, mm-hmm. um, but I was, you know, I was uh, capable of uh, being a tape up, uh, and that's all I did. I mean, I I worked under Glenn Johns, um, who had been brought in to engineer those sessions, uh, and, and one of the reasons that uh, EMI was involved in, or, or Abbey Road Studios were involved was because the um, the console that they'd installed in their um, basement studio just simply did not work. Mm. So um, Abbey Road had to send down a pair of, uh, a pair of consoles to, to, get the, to get the thing working. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a miracle that anything got recorded. <laughs> it was uh, all the, all the uh, and it was literally held, held together with bits of string and chewing gum, you know. <laughs> Right, right. Quite a, quite, quite a, quite a hookup. Right, and and, and and obviously we could talk hours just about the Beatles, and but I want to get into you and your your career. But uh, you know that was known to be a contentious period for the Beatles, and a lot of dynamics involved. Uh, what can you comfortably share about the dynamics of the Beatles in the studio, Yoko Ono? Anything that you want to share before we move on off the Beatles? Uh, you know, um, I was just. Um just in seventh heaven, you know, working with the Beatles. I mean, how many young aspiring recording engineers actually could, 
you know, put the, the name of the Beatles on their CV. Yeah, not many. Uh, I, I, I was, I was, I, you know, even if they'd been uh, strangling each other, I would have, I would have still been happy to be working with them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and from they, what they you were, read, um, they almost were. I mean, was it was it that bad? Yeah, they, they were clearly ups and downs mood wise during that period. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the amazing Peter Jackson is is re-editing that that movie. Um, uh, I, I don't know how long it's going to take him, but uh, he uh, I, he and I met quite recently, and he said uh, it's going to be a very different experience to the original movie. Yeah. When, by the time he's finished with it. Awesome. And, and I did read something about that. You know, when I was uh, in Montserrat with Air Supply many, many years ago recording. Jeff Emmerich made a, a guest appearance. He, he was just hanging out, uh, came over to the, the, the island, and, and one dinner with a couple bottles of wine flowing, he just had some great Beatles stories, how McCartney would play bass, and you know his style and his technique. It was just so interesting, and obviously one of the most iconic music groups, if not the most iconic group of all time. It, it just must have been amazing to be there you're, and watch that happen. You're talking about Air Supply now, right? Sorry? The most iconic, one of the greatest and iconic bands of all time, and you're talking about Air Supply, right? Uh, no, no, I'm talking about the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Air <laughs> Supply too. Were you, um, were you with the band when we did it? Did some shows together in Mexico? No, and I'm so glad you brought that up because Russell Hitchcock, I told him that you were going to be on, and he said, oh, man, we did a show with them in Mexico uh, with you and your band, and he said, what a great guy, and I already know how good you guys sound live. To be honest with you, I had a little, I was going to play something that Russell and I, I produced a, a solo album for Russell many years ago, kind of sat in the background because they wouldn't let us release it. Air Supplies label said, no, he can't do a solo album. We finally did. But I remember when we were recording, 94, 95, roughly in there, he wanted to cut Since the Last Goodbye. And I remember him bringing that up. And it's funny, I texted him the other day and I said, what was the song we were going to talking about cutting from Alan Parsons? And he, we, neither of us could remember. But then I went down the list and I said, that was the one. And so he sends his best regards, Russell. He, he just said you were so nice and they loved working with you. But no, uh, my last year with Air Supply goes way back, 1987. Oh, right. Well, please, um, please reciprocate my, my best wishes to, to Russell and Graham. Yep. Um, yep. I um, enjoyed working with them very much. Yeah, they did and, too. They, they, Graham, 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 I'm, I'm very jealous of Graham because he lives in um, Park City, Utah, which I think is an. Uh, a beautiful place. Yes, he does. <laughs> he he moved there years ago and bought a huge piece of land outside of Park City, and he loves it. Graham is kind of that earthy sort of guy, and they were great. My, I've said it all along. I was with them 83 through 87, and it was just such a great experience. You know, they were Clive Davis people like you were, I think, with Alan Parsons Project. And it was just a great experience of traveling the world. We were in Montserrat recording in London, uh, recording with a guy named Peter Collins producing, and a guy you'll know well, Bob Ezrin, uh, from, and that's going to take us right into our Pink Floyd. Bob Ezrin produced four, five, six tracks, I can't remember, and Peter Collins produced the two great producers, completely different. Bob Ezrin was totally a band guy. Ready, guys, go. That takes us right into, in my mind, Alan, my favorite album of all time, I do believe, Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd. Well, 
Um, I, I, I'm certainly familiar with um, not only uh, Bob Ezrin's uh, work and, and Peter Collins. Um, I, I met Peter um, at uh, the inaugural meetings of the British Record Producers Guild, um, which has now become the British Music Producers Guild because records are <laughs> just one one small uh, slice of the pie, as it were. Yep. But yeah, Peter, 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 and uh, and Bob. Yes, know them well. And uh, we, uh, Bob, Bob Esmond and I have actually done uh, panel discussions and uh, interviews together because obviously because we both had done work with Pink Floyd. Yep. Exactly. So now uh, with Pink Floyd, were you? What was your role in Dark Side of the Moon? Well, by the time uh, Dark Side of the Moon first sessions came along, I was I was fully fledged uh, as an engineer. I uh, had uh, got quite a few uh, sessions and uh, and success, you know, successes behind me, particularly with the Hollies. Um, and um, I'd uh, worked with Floyd on their previous record to uh, uh, to Dark Side of the Moon, which was Atom Heart Mother. And I did uh, I did some mixing work um, on that, so uh, they I presumably presumably did an adequate job uh, on <laughs> Atom Heart Mother for them to uh, to ask me to come back and and do Dark Side of the Moon, and uh, there I was. I mean, I, I didn't miss a I didn't miss a single second. Wow. Uh, of the sessions for the album, so uh, I wanted to make sure that I was the only credited engineer for the album. Yeah. Uh, and it did a lot of good, of course. Uh, uh, amazing. Good. And I wrote a little note to myself so I wouldn't forget. I remember Bob Ezrin in the studio talking about this album, and he says, you know, back then, of course, and two-inch tape, he said, splicing, we spliced a lot. I mean, and, and think about how that album just weaves together. I put it back in my car the other day, the CD, and listened to it full bore. It just is an amazing, amazing record. The sounds and the and the creativity. What were those sessions like? They were very, very pleasant guys to work with. There was, there was no... Uh no conflicts, uh, or at least no serious conflicts between them. Uh, and, uh, it, it was a joy, it was a joy to work on. It really was. Uh, everybody worked well as a team. Um, if, uh, if David was out in the studio playing guitar, Roger would be the producer. And if Roger was, uh, doing his, you know, playing his part, then David would become the producer. Mm. But, uh, you know, I was just, uh, very lucky to be uh, associated with a band who were arguably the most demanding of any band in history uh, for for studio technology. They yep. They, yep. they absolutely pushed uh, studio uh, studio facilities and uh, technologies to to an absolute uh, limit. And uh, I was I was privileged to be a part of that. I really was. Yeah, and and can you think of a moment where uh, Roger or David said, "Can we try this?" or do and and you went, "Well, I don't know. Let let's try it." Where you were really challenged? Um, it, it's so long ago. I mean, I I don't remember uh, specific moments for any particular song yeah. or any particular item, but um, there were um, there were some there were some ideas that I pitched in. Um, like uh, for the the clocks on time, I, I yeah. had done a 
a sound effects recording which I played for them and said, uh, I think I can get permission to use these these sound effects uh, from EMI and uh, EMI said yes and uh, that was one, one thing that uh, I contributed. I also suggested uh, giving Claire Terry a call for uh, Greg oh, Giggins' guy. Yeah, yeah. I met her on a, on a couple of previous occasions oh. and that turned out to be a, a, a an iconic moment for for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's funny. I but, just saw yeah, that. And, uh, I just saw online where she sang with them recently. Whenever that last time they performed, and she she sang it live. Uh, I don't know if it was Wembley or uh, wherever they were. Not that long ago, maybe it was just Roger. I know the two Roger and David don't get along. There was some fairly recent live performance with her singing. Absolutely fantastic, man! It was amazing. So you put her together with the band? Yeah, I mean, uh, I I just worked with her on um, on some uh, cover versions of of, of uh, hit tunes. You know, she 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 was just a, a session singer. She didn't. She wasn't an artist in her own right. Yep. Yep. Just uh, she wasn't a, a singer who got who got hired to do backing vocals, uh, commercials, jingles, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. Well, but, uh, I re- I recognize her talent, and uh, I I thought it was a good fit for her to to uh, do her stuff on on that on that song. Yeah. Well, she did her thing on that song, and you know I can't let it go by without saying David Gilmour is absolutely one of my favorite all-time guitarists, and I know he was a big part of your Valid Path CD, which I have somewhere. I tried to find it before. It's somewhere around here. Fantastic. That's You kind of experimented with some things and some different artists, but what a great CD that was, and Gilmore's all over it. Yeah, I was I was obviously delighted when, when David uh, agreed to to do a, a part on, on that song. Uh, uh, he, he was very gracious and uh, very very responsive to my requests for uh, what the style that uh, it should take and, and yep. where he should play and where he should not play and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was I was uh, very lucky to get him. He he, he was uh, very very gracious about the whole thing. Yeah, interesting. Now just. This is, uh, I don't even know if this is a uh, question you want to answer, but why do you think that David Gilmore and Roger Waters can't figure it out to get Pink Floyd back together? What makes it so acrimonious between the two of them? Not my place to uh, <laughs> to try and figure that out. I, I, I can't answer it. I have no idea. Okay, why. perfect. I, mm-hmm. I'm just saying it just, it, it amazes me when people just can't realize how powerful it could be to see Pink Floyd back together. I was fortunate to see the Wall concert back in the early 80s when Pink Floyd, and I've seen Gilmore in his live performance, I'm sorry, solo performances. I haven't seen Roger solo, but it's just, you know, I'm a believer in combinations and just that's one of the best combinations, but I get it. So again, talking about you, Alan, and something that I saw today that I never realized that you, correct me if I'm wrong, added or suggested adding the saxophone part to Al Stewart's Year of the Cat. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, we we had uh, recorded a, a very lengthy track, um, and uh, there was there was only room for you know so many solos. And uh, 
And we, I thought, well, we can do an acoustic solo, then we do an electric solo, then we can go back to acoustic, and then another electric solo. And then I just had this idea that maybe just to break it up a bit, we should try a saxophone. And then Al looked at me very bewildered and said, <laughs> saxophone? I, I've never had a saxophone on my records before. Um, that's a jazz instrument. You know? um, I'm, a, I'm, a folk, uh, I'm a folk rock artist. Right. You know? and, uh, but anyway, um, long story short, he ended up really liking the, what my good buddy Phil Kenzie uh, played uh, on the song. And um, the, the follow-up to the story that most people don't realize is that Al actually took Phil Kenzie, the sax player, on to join his band. <laughs> so he went, he went out on tour with, with, with Phil playing right. sax. Yeah, there you go. Who else is going to play that part the same way? I love that. And also, so many... He, 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 could, play, he could play notes on, a, on an alto saxophone that hadn't even been heard of. Really? And, and is he still with us? What, what you listen he to that song again. There's some, in, some incredible high notes that... Uh, yeah. Well, and, only and, a genius, only a, a true virtuoso of the instrument would be able to achieve. Awesome. And I know you worked with Ambrosia, Burley Drummond. I know well. He's a good friend, been on the show a couple of times. And you had a Grammy nomination for one of their records. Yeah. So that was um, very, very well received. Um, I, uh, I got uh, two, two, two Grammys in that very first period one for Ambrosia and one for the engineering of, of my first album, uh, Tells a Mystery, which, uh, which by a strange coincidence, Ambrosia also uh, featured on. Uh, they featured, uh, you know, as the rhythm section on the, on the Raven from, the, from my first album. Oh, interesting. All right, so... Yeah, we, and, uh, you know, on the subject of Grammys, um, I managed to actually win one last year. Yeah. Uh, Was that just last year? The 13... 13 attempts to do so. I actually finally won for um, a re-release surround mix of Iron in the Sky. Fantastic. Now, so speak- I'm now officially officially can be called a Grammy Award winner instead of a Grammy Award nominee. Right. And that- I've been doing it ever since 90, 1978. I've been a Grammy Award nominee, but now I'm a Grammy, Grammy Award winner, which just makes me feel very good. And you should. Congratulations so much. Now, you just named the song... I'm going to play some music right now just for you. You know, this is probably, you correct me if I'm wrong, the best known song. You have so many great things, and I'm, again, such a huge fan. From the Alan Parsons band, Eye in the Sky. i 
This guy, Alan Parsons Project. I love that song. It still stands the test of time. Hi, Alan. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, love it. I've never been allowed. I've never been allowed to forget that um, at the time we recorded it, I, I I wasn't getting on with well with the song. I didn't feel good about it, and um, it was only when we settled on the that sort of chugging feel for it. Right, right. Well, what I said, and it's funny, I was telling Russell Hitchcock uh, the other day, I'm sorry for interrupting, that your mix is everything it just is in the right place. You know, it's 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 uncomplicated. I hear everything the way I want to hear it. That's what I know about your mixes. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's... Uh, yep. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I lose your... Uh, 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 everything is heard in, in the right balance. And- yep. You know, engineers engineers at Abbey Road used to be called balance engineers because that's what it's all about, yeah, balance. Exactly, it really is. And that's from Eye in the Sky CD album or whatever it was back then. I mean, I'm sure you had it on a full album and, and cassettes back in that day. But it just, it sounds so good. And I've got, because I do my show in headphones because I'm also recording it. It just sounds so good. And it brings me back to that sound. You know, you love those eighth notes going through that just, as you say, keep it chugging right through now you 
those songs, is that Eric Wolfson, your partner at that time in the Alan Parsons Project? Is that him singing that song? That's him singing, and he was, uh, to all intents and purposes, he wrote the song as well. Yeah. Uh, I wrote the intro, uh, which is uh, which is called Serious, which oh. opens the album and leads into Iron Sky. Yeah. Um, and that, as you may know, has become a sports anthem for some strange reason. Yeah. <laughs> Not... Not for any reason that I anticipated, um, but uh, yeah, it just became the Chicago Bulls theme. I know the, uh, I, the, the anthem for uh, all kinds of sports uh, events and uh, gets used on TV, movies, commercials. That's where it's at: longevity, licensing, and keeping that that legacy alive. And it's also a big part of the last dance or last dance, which was just released not that long ago on ESPN. I believe about Michael Jordan, who your wife, Lisa said, tell him about, or make him talk about meeting Michael Jordan. <laughs> um, my meeting with Michael Jordan was very fleeting. Um, I think it's probably maybe 10, 12 years ago. There was another movie. Um, about uh, about Jordan and the Bulls, and uh, there was a, a a promotional event, a, a big party, and uh, Michael Jordan was there after you know during that party, shaking hands with lots of people and doing pictures with press and what have you. And I managed to walk up to him and uh, grab his attention and say, "Hey, hey Michael, uh, <laughs> I'm Alan Parsons. I." I wrote the music that uh, you walk onto your basketball court with us. Nice to meet you, man. Oh. That was it. Uh, okay. Hey, well, still. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even sure that it actually sunk in. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a noisy room. Yeah. Yeah. Room. Well, uh, and, and let me just play a snippet of that so fans know. The, the, the minute they hear it, they'll know. I know I do. So I, I could play the whole thing, of course, but people will now recognize that as the Chicago Bulls theme. And I can picture that stadium. They used to uh, go dark right when they play that, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny. We, we um, just the other day, um, 
asked Alexa to play Sirius by the Alan Parsons Project. <laughs> and she came back with it. Here is the Chicago Bulls oh, theme by the funny. Alan Parsons Project. <laughs> how funny. Yeah, it's I, and a, a, little, a, little bit, a little bit frustrating. I'm going to have to have a, have a word with uh, Amazon about that. Yes, yes. And Siri, damn it, she doesn't always get it right. But, and it's also been used at other sports events because it has that big, big sounding. I'm a Golden State Warrior fan myself, but I can picture Scottie Pippen and, and Jordan walking out to that. And they used to darken the stadium and put the spotlight on them. But what a great sound. How did you come up with that song? Um, it was just um, an experimental thing. I, 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 I was uh, experimenting with um, digital delays uh, while, while playing a um, clavinet keyboard. Um, and that, 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 that uh, rhythm just came to me um, with the echo effect. Yep. Um, it, without the echo effect, it's actually very dull. It just goes da 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 da. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but it's the echo that makes it go. That's right. It gives it the rhythm. Yeah. And, I, I um, love it, man. Yeah. Um, I, like I said uh, a moment ago, it, it, it's the last thing that I ever expected that it would become a, a sports scene. But I'm I'm the ultimate non-sports fan. I I do not follow sport mm. at all. What? The only, uh, Not soccer. The only, the only the only sport that I follow is is Wimbledon when it comes around in uh, in June. Yeah. And um, I used to love I used to love watching Formula One motor racing, but it, it's hard to find in in, in the US. Yeah, it, it really is, and and so much has changed. And let's hope they play Wimbledon next year. Everything's of course up in the air. But but I will tell you, just your production, and I listen to that song, and I also see that you have a video and I'm going to check it out. I don't know how I get it or I'm going to look into it. The art and science of sound recording narrated by Billy Bob Thornton, one of my favorite actors of all time. So uh, tell us about that. Well, um, my um, good friend uh, uh, of many years, uh, a guy called Julian Colbeck, um, who's uh, a talented keyboard player and uh, he um, quite a, he's also quite a, a technologist. He had uh, a, a lot of uh, stuff going on with the MIDI revolution in uh, uh, keyboards. And um, he he made a, a sort of how-to uh, series of videos back in the, uh, back in the 80s. Um, and uh, he, he appealed to me to, to uh, that we would come together and write and write and... Uh, shoot a brand new version of it um his his program i think probably ran two hours uh what we did ended up as, as nine hours of the show mm. and uh we put it on a dvd and and it's done incredibly well um we're um actually combining the uh the, the videos which have been, been uh, thankfully very very uh popular in, in uh, universities and uh, music colleges um, we're actually uh, going to be doing some uh, online masterclasses. We've, we've done in-person masterclasses uh, for uh, you know uh, an elite uh, group of people on a number of occasions in various studios around the world. But we're actually doing our first online masterclass this coming Saturday. Oh, um, please talk about it. So, how, how can people access it? I mean, uh, we're, we're going to... Uh, be looking at mixing a live show and 
It's a show that we recorded in Tel Aviv, Israel last year. And so I'm going to, going to be demonstrating all the, all the issues, all the pitfalls, all the fun stuff that goes with, um, you know, handling the, uh, the issues that uh, you have to deal with on, on a live recording. Very different uh, set of parameters that you have to work with when you're dealing with a live recording as opposed to a studio recording. Yeah, sure. And, so, and uh, looking forward to that. That's uh, that's this Saturday morning. Uh, I think it's starting at nine thirty Pacific. So if, if any anybody listening now wants to uh, join us, please please just go to the Art and Science of Sound dot com website, and uh, we'd love to see you there. Yeah, fantastic. And speaking of that, I saw where you recently were at the Canyon Club mixing for which one's Pink doing the Wall, correct? Um. I, I did mix which one's pink for uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Not oh, for the uh, wrong album. Sorry, <laughs> but those, those guys are great. They're 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 a great cover band, and uh, I, I, they do a really good job. And it, it, it was fun to work with them. I think they. Uh, I think they enjoyed working with me too. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to guess they really did. I mean, n- knowing the sounds, your philosophy on production and mixing, in a nutshell, what would you say? Oh, uh, how can you say it in one sentence? I should probably write a book on that. Yeah, well, you probably haven't. I probably probably have. (laughs) However you'd like to say it, just, you know, take your time, please. Because you're such a great engineer, you're such a great producer, and you're a writer, and you're a performer. And I will tell you, I I feel that I've been influenced by your production, going back to iRobot. I would love to hear just your, your general basic rules of production and, and engineering? Um, it's the art. It's not the art of sound engineering or sound production. It's the art of listening. Mm-hmm. All about knowing how to listen. And I've, I've preached that basic premise for, for years and years. Um, when, when, I, um, when I first started in the industry, that, that's, that's what I was taught to do, to, to listen for what a certain microphone does on a certain instrument at a certain distance in a certain place, how it fits into a mix, how EQ works, how uh, how to get a vocal sound that, that fits into a mix. You know, all, all those things you, you you do it by listening, mm-hmm. not not by um, what what appears to be technically correct. Mm-hmm. You know? Good point. Sometimes sometimes the the correct technical situation doesn't match with what the ears tell you so I, i've always been one to go go by what the ears tell you not not mm-hmm. not by technical stuff and, and I'm, I'm often asked for example what what's my favorite console what's my favorite uh, microphone what's my favorite this that what's my favorite uh, reverb and uh, i just say it's whatever works mm-hmm. you know i'll take whatever what i'll take whatever a studio has whatever whatever is available, and I, I'll find a way to make it work, even if it's not the, uh, you know, the $100,000 speaker system or the uh, $50,000 reverb unit, whatever. Yeah, just, just, just work with what you've got and make it work. Yep. It's a great point. Uh, one of my dear friends who I've worked a lot with says his little saying is, it ain't the gear, it's the ear. And it ties right into what you're saying. You listen, you pay attention, and a producer's job is, well, you're producing a lot of your own material, of course, but when you're working with somebody, it's 
a producer's job is to bring out their best performance. I love working with good singers myself and the stuff that you do and have done over the years. And again, the artists that you've worked with, it just speaks for itself. And the consistency of your final product is really great. Well, you're very kind. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think, um, you know, the, the part, part of being a good, a good producer is, is, is the ability to command the respect of the artists you're working with. And um, I, I always like to think that I respect my artists and my artists should respect me. And that's so important, just to have communication skills and, and the ability to speak the same language. If you, can't, if you can't talk to a musician using his language, then you're not going to get very far as a producer. You've got to understand what's going through their heads. And hopefully they understand what's going through your head as well. Uh-huh. Hey, m- m- my text is blowing up over here. Maitland Ward just said, what's your favorite worm tequila? <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell Maitland hi. Yes. Uh, I know him well. He's a good friend. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I, I, I was on holiday in, um, in Cambodia last year. And we picked up <laughs> we picked up this liqueur that had a a, a snake. There's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a snake in the bottle. I haven't dared open it, but you can oh my clearly God. see it through this bottle. There's a snake in time. Um, oh, but worm tequila, mm, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I think I like the clear stuff best. <laughs> yeah, I think I do too. Yeah, Maitland and I go back to the late 70s when we were playing the Red Onion Circuit together. And I know he's part of that Santa Barbara scene. Great musician, great guy. I love him dearly. Moving on to more stuff about you. The CD box set of all the Alan Parson project is available. How do people get that? Well, they can get it from uh, from our site, alanparsons.com, or the usual the usual places, you know, um, Amazon, uh, or if they want to download it, uh, it's, it's all there. Uh, as a download on iTunes as well, but um, you know, I, I would encourage them to to buy the the, the box set as a as a set because you know it's it's a tangible thing that you can uh, can hold and look at and see the credits and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, I would be, I would much prefer people to to pick up the pick up the box. Um, box sets have become a big part of my life lately. Uh, we, we we've um, just recently re-released uh, Ammonia Avenue in a box set. Which uh, just just came out oh three months ago, uh-huh. and um, that's uh, that was that was it. Yeah, and that's a fabulous CD as well. Or I look at it like, and I, and I see there was a controversial, never released CD from 1979, the Sicilian Defense. What's that all about? You there, Alan? Uh oh, Alan, you there? <laughs> oh. I'm not hearing you. Darn it. Not sure what happened. Boy, it sounds like the alien. Alan, are you there? Well, maybe we'll get figured out. I'll play one note symphony from his Secrets album. Hang with me, Alan, if you're still there.
you for a second i don't know what happened man it's like the aliens are taking over tonight but hey it is live and it's showbiz but glad to have you here i don't know if you uh, heard my last question or if you did answer it that when i was looking over the notes cd box set of all the alan parson projects great music i saw something it said controversial never released cd from 1979 the sicilian defense what was that all about um it it was an album that i never intended to be released it was a simply a set of uh, instrumental demos that fulfilled a contractual obligation <laughs> so uh, it, it i wouldn't say it sucks but it's not, it's not <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate your honesty but it's not something you wanted to release no no yeah um thank you for playing that song just now that's yeah. uh, that's um from from the latest uh, offering uh, it's called The Secret. Yeah. And uh, that, that song was called One Note Symphony. Love it. Now, your website, www.alanparsons.com. I assume people can get anything from there as well as the traditional sites. Uh, yes, indeed. And uh, there's, some, there's some cool uh, other, you know, merchandise, T-shirts and stuff uh, available there. So, uh, yeah. Um, if, if, if you can't find uh, the... The uh, music you're looking for, it's always there on uh, Amazon for uh, physical products and iTunes or Spotify or whatever for downloads. Yep. Awesome. And and I know you, uh, of course, Corona's shut down everybody live, but you're still playing live a lot. And how many dates a year do you do normally? And boy, I heard, I told you, I heard Eye in the Sky or I saw a video of it live. It was amazing. So you're still motivated and still playing live if it wasn't for coronavirus? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I had uh, probably 100 gigs this oh year. Oh, my gosh. Got, uh, all got uh, postponed. Um, we're back on the calendar for March of next year, yep. uh, both both in America and uh, uh, in, in Europe. Um, 
one one thing I decided I would do is uh, to to uh, release uh, at least uh, one video this year of uh, a live show. Uh, we've we've got a, a live show that we recorded in uh, in Utrecht in Holland uh, last year. Nice, uh, both both audio and video. So it's a, it's a really nice uh, video and audio package, and it's mixed in surround. So we're hoping to put that out very soon, and uh, hopefully with a bonus track, a single, a studio bonus track, which uh, which is ready to go. Um, and um, I think I mentioned earlier the, the Tel Aviv concert that, that will probably go out uh, in uh, the early part of next year. So, uh, you know, the, as a substitute for actually going out playing live, we're going to just put out these videos and uh, hope that people will yeah. appreciate them, uh, at least in part. Of, you know, uh, it won't be the actual live show, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give them at least a taste of what our live show is like. I love it. And so just to talk about the kind of person Alan is, 2018 at the Chew Mash Casino, which I know well, concert, you donated all your proceeds to the first responders and the flood victims back then, which was a horrendous situation for victims and people of Santa Barbara. That was what a gesture that was. Well, thank you. Um, it was the most, the most devastating uh, series of events, not, not just the... Uh, not just the fires that uh, that led to the mudslides, but uh, you know, the, the, just a whole series of, of calamities in in the Montecito area. Uh, and uh, you know, I've got a lot of friends in, in that area, and uh, yeah. a lot of whom who suffered very badly. And um, it was it seemed uh, just something that was easy to do to to help help those guys out. Awesome, man. All right. So listen, we're, we're, we're going to go fast. I mean, we're winding down. We still got plenty of time. Don't get me wrong, but it is my show. So I'm going to play this song. One of my favorite songs from the Alan Parsons project. I know I romanced my wife to this song right here. Oh 
Yeah, Alan. That was one of my favorites, man, off of iRobot. I told you I wore that cassette out, and I'm not kidding you. Pleased <laughs> <laughs> to hear it. Yeah, man. It was great. And winding down, you've, you, you, you had a cartoon character in Family Guy. You've a longtime hobby of magic, and you perform magic, right? I do, um, just for fun. Just, uh, you know, coin tricks, card tricks. And whenever I go to a magic store, there's a, there's a huge magic store in, in, in uh, Chicago uh, run by a good friend of mine, mm. Tim Felix. Uh, and I, I go there and I buy all the new tricks and then I bring them home and then I just don't have time to even take them out of their box. Um, I just just, so I've got a a huge stash of unopened magic tricks that I that I would love to uh, you know eventually get uh, get into. But uh, yeah, I I do I do a few uh, you know a few card tricks, coin tricks for bars and parties and stuff. Uh, I was going to say, hey, there's there's no bars and parties these days. I know. I I, let's hope and pray. I mean, they say they're pretty close to a vaccine. I mean, look, nobody's been unaffected by what's going on. I've talked about it before. We all know it. It's just life is, all of us knew is, has changed upside down. And, and you have your studio and I have my studio. Without it, I'd be going crazy. That's for sure. You know, mm-hmm. life does go on and you just got to persevere and, and, and wait for us to come out of this. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, by the end of, by, the, by next spring, it will be history. I'm, I'm very hopeful of that. Yeah, you too. Uh, and I hope you're on tour as scheduled. We're getting ready to wrap it up. Anything else that you'd like to talk about or promote about Alan Parsons, about Alan Parsons' music, live, you know, CDs, whatever you need? Just, just uh, an appeal to go to have people go to the website, alanparsons.com. Yep. It's, uh, all the latest news, all the, all the uh, tour dates uh, as they now stand. And uh, two two uh, videos from the from the new album, The Secret, and to to take a look at. So uh, be glad to see you on, on on our website. Yeah, yeah, and and I can't wait to see you live. I I know it sounds good. And again, I stumbled on this before you were going to be on the show. I stumbled on this uh, live performance of Eye in the Sky, and it was just incredible it sounded phenomenal so don't leave me i'm going to play this tune this last tune you'll see what it is give my best to your lovely wife lisa she was so helpful in making this happen as was Lori reamer uh who put us all together i know uh speaking of together we did the all together now you did your thing i was a little a host for an hour and a half i'm looking at your picture right now they raised a lot of money for the first responders here in l.a and it was just a great thing to be a part of. And that's really what I said to Lori. I said, man, if you could get Alan on the show, it would be great. And I appreciate it so much. I'm going to finish up with this song that hopefully you like as much as we do. And it comes from Russell Hitchcock's request as well. Don't leave because I'll be coming back. Alan Parsons Project. Fill with
Friday, everybody. Alan Parsons Project. Alan Parsons, I love your music. I love your talent. I appreciate it so much that you've been on the show. I really, really am honored to have you here. Thank you so much, Lori Reamer, and your beautiful wife, Lisa Parsons, for help making this happen. Thanks to the Star Worldwide Network back in Phoenix, Dave the Mayor Pratt, my way more than a producer, Rock and Robin Cote. Please pray for more peace and love in the world. John Lennon said it best. All we need is love. Respect your police officers. And let's just hope we get out of this COVID. Alan, thank you so much, my friend. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Most welcome, Don. Thank you. Okay, brother. I look forward to meeting you someday. And I'll definitely be there at one of your concerts. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Don Cromwell Live. Love each other. Peace. Stay safe. Good night. listening to Don Cromwell Live. Producer, songwriter, musician, and former Air Supply and Eddie Money bassist, Don Cromwell. Every week, Don Cromwell Live connects the artist with you, the fan. Hear Don Cromwell Live as it happens Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, or on demand 24-7 on StarWorldWideNetworks.com. And follow Don at Facebook.com slash Don Cromwell and Twitter at Don Cromwell Live. Don Cromwell Live from StarWorldWide Networks.com.